0: So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat, and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, great to have you back with us today. Uh, Welcome if this is the first time you're tuning in. Today, what I really want to talk about is uh, an email email that I received in the last couple of weeks, which was addressing the question, when should I sell my investment property? I found the answer provided by this wealth expert, really unhelpful and a little bit superficial. And so what I wanted to do today was unpack a little bit about what this person said and why I disagree and where I think you could go a whole lot deeper if you were really interested in answering this kind of question. So the first thing I wanna kind of point out to you is I'm gonna assume for the purpose of this exercise that if you were thinking about selling a piece of real estate, that really what you're doing is you're saying, I'm gonna take the working capital out of one asset and put it into another asset. And really, if you're doing that, The trade off, of course, is that, you know, you're prepared to let go of potential future profits in the asset that you already have and move it to uh, another deal where potentially you see better opportunities. And that's really essentially if you're an investor and you've earmarked capital for investing, I'm gonna assume that we're not talking about selling an investment property here because you wanna go out and buy a boat or a bigger house for yourself. The other thing I wanna say is that in the years that I've been an investor uh, and I started investing back in uh, 2000 or maybe before 2000, so 20 plus years, one of the pieces of advice that I heard repeatedly was you should buy investment properties and never sell. And the reason that you never sell is that way you don't incur taxes and you capture as much growth as possible for, you know, future passive income. And when I first started investing, I certainly tried to apply that logic, but I realized very quickly that when you buy a piece of real estate, really what you're doing is speculating that it will go up in value and deliver you whatever outcomes you want, whether that's passive income or growth. And to some degree, there's a level of, you know, if you say there's a level of speculation in that, sometimes you're going to get it right and sometimes you're going to get it wrong. Obviously, there are a lot of things that, you know, and we can talk about this in another episode, things that you can do to stack the odds in your favor so that you do end up with um, the highest probability of achieving whatever your goals are. But let's say your aspirations change or your life circumstances change, or maybe something that you thought would work out a certain way just didn't work out that way. Then you're left in a position where potentially you're holding an investment property or an asset which isn't giving you what you want. So the question then becomes, Should you consider cashing out of one investment property, you know, and, you know, lumping the, the taxes and entry exit costs to put it into another investment? And I think it's really difficult to answer that in the superficial way that this email that I received answered it, which was really saying, Depends. This person that sent this email to me is trying to sell real estate, so I—I I should add—has a vested interest in you not selling uh, real estate. They want to sell you real estate, and they want to sell you the story that you should hold those properties regardless of whether they perform or not. And I think the thing that this email was saying, and I'm just looking at it now, is uh, if you sell real estate, you pay taxes, um, and that you shouldn't sell property because it's your infinite income stream, which truthfully, is debatable. I think there are a lot of investors holding real estate out there that just does not develop, does not give them cash flow. Um, in some cases, they thought that it would have given them cash flow by now. In other cases, they knew that it was a growth play. But either way, I think the answer itself doesn't really help people understand whether they should sell investment properties or not. So, what I wanted to do in this podcast is just pull apart five things that I think could be worth considering if you are, thinking about selling your properties or you wanna just put your assets under the microscope to evaluate if they should be kept or sold. And generally speaking, and I want to put this as a bit of a proviso, I'm not the sort of investor that likes to trade real estate. I don't like the idea of buying real estate for a short period of time and then flipping it just to make a small profit. That's a very active strategy. Uh, and I know that certainly there are lots of people who've made a lot of money doing that. But what I'm talking about here is if you are a you know an investor that wants to be more passive, you're acquiring real estate for the medium to long term and you're evaluating where a piece of real estate has kind of either not performed for you or holds a lot of equity but isn't delivering you cash flow, aka big fat lazy panda, or, you know, for whatever reason, it's just not giving you what you want, should you sell? I think that's really where I'm focused on today rather than the active trading of real estate. The first consideration that I think you need to focus on is likely prospects. Now, nobody has a crystal ball. So I, I recognize that people think that straight away when I say likely Prospects, there's an element of speculation. But really, what I'm saying is, this is a research based task where you would look at things like what kind of infrastructure spending is going on in that particular community? What kind of housing is most popular? What is the likely population growth? You know, what is it that's happening that makes this an attractive or unattractive place to live? And so, this requires you to trawl for research. It's not going to be something superficial. Obviously, local government websites and council websites can be often useful for providing insights and information around what is happening and what's in the pipeline. But it's really about kind of understanding at many levels what the likely prospects for a particular market look like. And on top of that, you really want to layer this idea of well, what kinds of real estate are performing really well in that particular suburb. So, for example, if you hold a, an apartment or a unit, in a market where, you know, people are demanding houses, you might find that, you know, there could be challenges with, you know, the rate of growth that you achieve just simply because it's not what people want. So, likely prospects is a holistic research exercise into given everything that's going on, how likely is this piece of real estate to appreciate? And, you know, the the second part of that is, you know, if you're looking at cash flow, how likely is it to be a good performer or what kind of cash flow are you likely to see um, with a piece of real estate? One of the things I used to really get upset about was a lot of real estate professionals would show you a pro forma or a profit and loss statement for a piece of real estate and they would make unrealistic expectations around how revenues or rentals from that piece of real estate would increase every year. And you know, my experience is that you're not going to have year-on-year growth with your rental. It goes up in lumps and bumps and it's a little irregular. My experience of looking at the sort of profit and loss that a property professional has sometimes given me is that it's it's very optimistic. So, you just want to make sure you do your homework, speak to buyers agents, speak to property managers, speak to professionals in the market and find out whether they can corroborate You know what it is that your research is showing. So, that's the first point, likely prospects. The second thing I would be looking at if I was trying to think about whether I should sell a piece of property is past prospects. So, it's very easy, particularly in a very heated market as we've had the last couple of years, to focus on the growth. That you may have had, or the appreciation over the last two years, and say, "Wow, well, past prospects have been tremendous." And I've, I've certainly said this in in recent podcasts that I know so many people who are patting themselves on the back, um, talking about what amazing investors they are because they've made a lot of profit in the last two years. What I would say to you when you when you're looking at past prospects is it's really meaningful, or it's much more meaningful to look at an annual average result over a longer period of time. And I like as a rule of thumb to look at you know what has happened with this particular asset over say a 10 year period and i think that gives you a much better insight into whether this is going to be a property that continues to perform. Obviously, this has to be taken in context with likely prospects. Say, for example, you know that there's something being built or some sort of um, investment coming to an area. That's not to say that, you know, you, you can't see better growth in the future. But what I, what I really wanted to kind of focus on is that there's plenty of data houses out there who publish information, which is designed to help you look at past performance. So, I like looking at the average annual 10-year growth. I like looking at the annual average yield income stream because it just gives me a sense of whether the area that I'm investing in has performed consistently well and whether that's likely to continue. So, that's always a really good, uh, I think, You know, reference point as well. The third thing that I would say is you've got to really, again, I I did say at the beginning, I'm assuming that you're taking capital out of one asset and diverting it to another investment, not spending it on lifestyle expenses, but evaluation of other opportunities. So, if you are going to go to the trouble of selling a piece of real estate, paying the taxes, paying the exit costs, and then you're going to deploy whatever's left over into a new investment opportunity, what you really want to understand is you know, how those measure up. So, the evaluation of other opportunities, the measurement of opportunity cost is really important. And a lot of people give lip service to that idea, but I think they don't actually take the time to calculate and measure it. And essentially, you know, when it comes to evaluating opportunities, really what most people are doing is speculating that one piece of real estate or one deal will actually outperform another deal. And I think unfortunately, I feel that most people are fishing from a very small pond of opportunities when they do choose real estate deals rather than thinking outside the square and incorporating other strategies and other markets into their kind of their their basket of opportunities that they would consider. The best example of this is obviously alternative real estate deals, which is, you know, obviously something that I'm super passionate about, but, you know, where I'm contrasting keeping an investment property versus diverting that capital into alternative investments, which let's say my traditional piece of real estate I've held and it's done really well and it's a great growth play. But on the flip side, I'm contrasting that with something that's going to give me cash flow. It's sort of not really comparing apples with apples in the first place. But what it does allow me to do is say, given my current wealth position, which direction what kinds of strategies should I be focusing on? And so, this leads me to my fourth point, which is time horizon. You know, when do you want to reach financial freedom? When do you want to hit the financial goals that you have? And so, if your time horizon to reaching certain levels of financial freedom is very, very short, then obviously you want to be thinking about does your property portfolio or does your investment property give you what you need in the time frame that you um, have in mind? If it, doesn't and you can see that you need to maybe shift gears and move some of that capital into other opportunities, that can come about two ways. It could come about by you simply refinancing the asset and going to the bank and saying, look, I've I've got all this equity, can I have some of it back so that I can go and do other things? Which is obviously the ideal outcome because then you still continue to get the benefit of future growth in the assets that you have. But sometimes the banks will say, no, we don't wanna give you a refinance or equity. And that's the point in time where you do need to start going, well, if I don't sell, I might continue to get growth, but I'm certainly not going to get cash flow, in which case, you know, I'm still a great distance from the financial freedom or the financial goals that I have. And that's when it becomes a, a question of, do I sell in order to You know, harvest some of that capital and redeploy it into better opportunities. But time horizon matters because if your time horizon to wanting to stop earning active income is very, very short, then these decisions about whether you should sell or keep are certainly more important. If you've got a very long time horizon, if you're quite young or if you have no intention of rocking the boat on your active income for a while, then, you know, that decision to sell or keep can be postponed, particularly if you're You know, wanting to remain as passive as possible, and if the sort of overall performance of each investment is relatively good, I think I I need to put an asterisk on all of this, which is that we're not aiming with our investing to get killer returns year on year. What we're aiming for is to get reasonably good returns, and I use that word reasonably good. Um, Some years might be better than other. It's certainly not expected to be year on year a consistent rate of return, but reasonably good returns that you can live with over the medium to long-term, because I'm assuming a medium to long-term time horizon there. The final thing that I want to say about, you know, when should I sell my investment property, is there's certainly no right or wrong. It's really uh, an opportunity to, um, as I said, you know, even if your intention is to hold, for the long term, I would still encourage you to sit down at least once a year and evaluate how did my property perform over the last year? Is it moving me in the direction that I want? Is it moving the needle on my wealth? Am I happy to keep this investment in my portfolio? The reason I think all of these questions are really important and the decision to sell or keep investment properties is really important is that You know, buying real estate is expensive. Everybody has a finite amount of borrowing power, and not too many people go out and buy traditional property with cash. So the leverage piece is really important. And given that everyone has a finite level of borrowings that they can carry, we want to kind of use that leverage wisely. So if you hold a couple of dud investment properties, then, you know, there's a Pretty good chance that you will not get results over the long term, and and remember that you know the differential between two investors who go out and buy, let's say they buy a couple of investment properties each. In today's terms, the the difference between what they're both doing might seem minuscule, but because of the the beauty of compound interest, what will often happen is that those differentials will become massive over a period of 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So not to say that you should be comparing to anyone else because we always want to run our own race. But these issues around prospects, past performance, opportunity cost, time horizon, those sorts of things, they matter greatly when you're evaluating each piece of real estate in the now. So guys, um, I think I'll leave it there. What I would say is I think there's a lot of superficial opinion out there, which is really more based in trying to motivate you to acquire more property. I know I'm talking to people all the time who are sharing horror stories, if you like, of being you know pushed into buying real estate when they didn't really want to or they didn't really think it was a good idea. And this is just more ammo from my perspective for you guys to really stay in full control of your decision making, to not kind of bend to pressure tactics. That's not to say you can't go out and get some support. There's a lot of really good people out there who are doing really great work in terms of researching and helping you make better investment decisions. But I would say to you that what we don't want to do is outsource decision making to somebody else. So anyway, guys, as always, if you've got topics or questions that you want answered on this podcast, please continue to email me, selena at inkosiwealth.com. Otherwise, um, look forward to catching up with you next time. Take care. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook, and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to inkosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.